0: Matthew chapter 5 is found on page 1116 of the Pew Bible. We're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a short passage this evening, verses 31 and 32. So listen to God's word. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Amen. May God bless us for reading of his word. Well, I want you to consider the following marriage statistics. The marriage rate has dropped to a 50-year low in 2020 and it continues to decline. More people are opting for cohabitation instead of marriage. The U.S. ranks sixth country among the ranked sixth among countries with the highest divorce rates in the world. Half of all marriages end in divorce Second and third marriages actually fail at a far higher rate. Younger generations are getting married at a later age. More people now approve of same-sex marriage. Married people are typically happier than unmarried people. And the average duration of a marriage in the U.S. is eight years. And then finally, basic incompatibility and infidelity are the most common causes for divorce. Well, what is most obvious from these statistics is that divorce is an issue, and it's an issue that affects many of us. Many here in this room have been affected by divorce, whether it's your own divorce, whether it's the divorce of your parents, or it's the divorce of friends or other close family members. This is a deeply sensitive subject a subject that we find very painful. It was only a year ago that I preached from Mark's gospel where he included Jesus' teaching on divorce. At that time, I quoted John Stott, and I want to quote him again. I hope you picked up an outline. He captures well my own feelings towards the subject, and I'm sure the subjects of many people. Stott writes, I confess to basic reluctance to attempt an exposition of these verses. And this is partly because divorce is a controversial and complex subject, but even more because it is a subject which touches people's emotions at a deep level. There is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage, and almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into a non-relationship of bitterness, discord, and despair. I am convinced that the teaching of Jesus on this and every subject is good, intrinsically good, good for individuals and good for society. That I take my courage in both hands and write on. And so with this similar mindset, let us think more deeply on this painful subject and understand what God has to say. And so I want you to notice The righteous man does not harden his heart and so divorce his wife. Instead, he commits himself to her. For in Christ, there is reconciliation as Christ committed himself to the church. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture, a picture of a marriage ceremony, the bride and the groom. And in that picture, you can say or label how long the couple are promising to be with each other. So, firstly, let's notice you are to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. That's verse 20. So, it's important to understand the context of these verses. This is a short passage, and this is not the only place in Matthew's Gospel where he teaches on divorce. Matthew 19, we have a much longer section on Jesus' teaching on divorce. And so, the main focus of these verses in Matthew 5 is less on divorce as it is on righteousness. And so don't expect this sermon to cover every aspect of divorce. Now, the context of these verses is verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I'm sure you've heard of the description of someone being more Catholic than the pope. It describes someone who has an annoyingly strict adherence to the Catholic faith. Now, that might not be too difficult with today's Pope, but that seems to be what Jesus is saying to his disciples when he says your righteousness is to be greater than that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were all about righteousness. They thought they lived out righteousness every minute of every day by every action that they took. Nothing they did was unrighteous, for they had a law for every one of their actions. And so you can't get a people more righteous than the Pharisees. But as we've been considering the last number of weeks, the righteousness of the Pharisees was external. It was all for show. It did not touch their hearts. Christ's view of righteousness was not merely outward, but it was from the heart And so we see if you have angry thoughts, Christ says you have committed murder. If you have lustful thoughts, you have committed adultery. And he gives four further areas where the righteousness that he demands is greater than that of the Pharisees. And so this evening we'll be considering marriage and divorce. And in doing so, Christ helps us understand kingdom living, what it means to be salt and light in this world, And that includes in our marriages and our view of divorce. Divorce is to be the last thought in our heart. Instead, our goal is to pursue lifelong faithfulness. So rather than look for an easy get out, you are to put all your energy into sustaining your marriage. And so this message is very applicable in our day where divorce, sadly, has become very common. Well, secondly, You are to understand that the Pharisees had this cavalier approach to divorce, similar to our own culture. Jesus begins, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this is not Jesus quoting from the law, but rather from the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. For when Jesus quotes from the law, he always says, It is written. Now, the Pharisees, they taught that a man could legally divorce his wife if he simply gives her a certificate of divorce. Now, there were a variety of interpretations on the reasons on why a man could divorce his wife. There was a conservative school of Shammai who said you can only divorce your wife on the grounds of sexual immorality. That was evident when Joseph sought to quietly divorce himself from Mary. But the other school of thought was the school of Hillel. That was much more relaxed. You could basically divorce your wife over very minor issues. If you weren't happy with your wife's cooking, that would be grounds for divorce. In the book of Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, which was written about 150 BC, it taught that if she will not do as you tell her, get rid of her. In both schools of thought, whether conservative or liberal, they took the view that divorce is acceptable. And so you see this very cavalier approach to divorce. And that's because the Pharisees were only concerned about the externals. They were more concerned about keeping the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is that God hates divorce. Malachi 2, we read, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. This was not the attitude of the Pharisees. Instead, they were more interested in what loophole that they could find that would allow divorce to be permissible. And this loophole would then benefit them so they could get out of their marriage responsibilities. And it's not that different from today. People are quick to get out of their marriage commitments. Just last year, the UK changed its divorce laws, so it's more similar to the divorce laws here in the US. Before, there had to be a period of separation, which could last up to a couple of years before divorce was finalized. Now a couple can divorce in the space of 20 weeks. The reason for this change is because the length of time, two years, was seen as too painful. The breakdown of a marriage, it is always painful and it should be painful. It's not to be done lightly. Marriage is a responsibility. It is a commitment and the focus should always be on fulfilling your marriage vows rather than searching for loopholes on how to get out of your marriage. Sadly as Christians we often behave in the same way. We are quick We want out of our marriage, and so we look for a loophole. We want to know the exceptions. And what do the exceptions specifically mean? And do we fit the exceptions? But that attitude is simply demonstrating the heart of a Pharisee, a concern for appearing right outwardly, but not inwardly. John Stott says to be preoccupied with the grounds for divorce is to be guilty of the very Phariseeism which Jesus condemned. Now, remember, as I said, this sermon is focused on righteousness more than divorce. I'm not covering everything here as a pastor in dealing with marriage difficulties. Every situation is unique. But Benjamin Franklin wisely said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And often, by the time a marriage issue gets to the elders, the couple have already moved apart. It's a last ditch effort. More to say they've tried when it's simply too late. Marriage is hard. You're bringing two sinners to live under the same roof. Every married couple here can testify at times it is difficult. And If you are going through a difficult time, talk to people you can trust. Come and talk to the elders here at church. Seek counseling. Don't wait until it's too late. So don't be cavalier in your approach to divorce. Make every effort to prevent it. Well, thirdly, you are to acknowledge that God permitted divorce because of your hard-heartedness. So the Old Testament really doesn't say that much on divorce. The Pharisees were basing their teaching from Deuteronomy 24, and it's useful to look at these verses. You have them in your handout. When a man takes a wife and marries her, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce. Put it in her hand and send her out of his house. And When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if a latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand and send her out of his house. Or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife? then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to his wife after she's been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. And the main emphasis of these verses was that you're not to remarry your wife after divorcing her. You're not to think that you are entitled to her again. Now Moses is teaching that is wrong. That is wrong. And God gives this legislation to protect women. These women were to be given a divorce certificate so that they could restart their lives again, so that they could move on and marry another man. If she did remarry, her first husband could never go back to her again. It would be wrong for him to seek her in an intimate way. Now, the Pharisees, they took this passage, that as long as you give a divorce certificate, you can divorce your wife for you have fulfilled your obligations. They even took what Moses is saying as a command, that if your wife no longer finds favor in your eyes, you are to divorce her, and this is how you do it. But it's not a command. It's a concession of Moses' part to actually protect women. Matthew 19, verse 8, we read of Jesus helping us understand why there is divorce. He said to them, Moses, because of your Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So divorce is not part of God's original plan. But because of sin entering the world, God, through Moses, gave us divorce. John Stott writes, It was not a divine instruction, but only a divine concession to human weakness. Thus, even the divine concession was, in principle, inconsistent with the divine institution. So God permitted divorce because of sin, but it was not his original design for marriage. So when you desire a divorce, look into your own heart and see how hard it has become. Well, fourthly, Jesus confronts you for in divorcing, you are committing adultery. Verse 32. Matthew 19, we read of Jesus saying, But from the beginning, this was not so. To understand marriage, we have to go to the beginning. We have to go to Genesis. There we read of God's institution of marriage. We read that God made man after his own image. The first man, Adam, it was not good for Adam to be alone, and so God made a partner for Adam and Eve. And they were joined together to become one flesh, a permanent union. And in this married relationship they would have children if God grants them that. So Jesus says this one flesh it cannot be severed or can only be severed by one exception and that is sexual immorality of some kind. Paul would also add desertion as an exception. So divorcing for any reason except for sexual immorality and desertion so you can be in a relationship with someone else you are therefore committing adultery. Now, many of the Pharisees, they would protest. They would say, we haven't committed adultery. They falsely believed that they could get rid of their wife for whatever reason, simply because they gave her a certificate. But no certificate makes divorce okay. And Jesus tells us why in verse 32. Now, verse 32 is difficult to understand. In first reading, it seems to put the guilt on the innocent party. In Jesus' day, this is the woman. But Jesus is saying that these Pharisees who were divorcing their wives were forcing their now ex-wives into adultery. There was no financial support for divorced women. It would not be easy for them to remarry. In today's society, most divorces are initiated by women. Well, that was not the case in Jesus' day. Women had no rights. They could not find work easily. And so by divorcing your wife, you are throwing her out on the street. What reputable man would want to marry her since she has been divorced? And so for many, the only way to support themselves was by prostitution. Henderson helps us understand this verse. The Greek, by using the passive voice of the verb, states not what the woman becomes or what she does, but what she undergoes, suffers, and is exposed to. She suffers wrong. He does wrong. And so Jesus is saying, these Pharisees, you are guilty for her adultery. You are guilty for the adultery of whoever marries her. And if you get married, you are committing adultery. And so the Pharisees think that by obtaining a certificate of divorce that they have absolved of all their responsibilities. But Jesus is saying, it is adultery. For in God's eyes, you are still married. You are one flesh. And so by joining with another, you are committing adultery. And that is true for us today. If you divorce your wife, if you divorce your husband, you are committing adultery. For while sexual immorality is an exception, the second biggest reason for divorce is incompatibility. And that is not an exception. And yet we hear of this all the time. Just listen to Hollywood. We hear couples saying, well, we just drifted apart. We wanted different things in life. We were both busy in our own projects, and so we had no time for each other. We have nothing in common anymore. They divorce, and then they marry again later. But what happens? Often the same cycle repeats itself. And that's because the problem is not solved by divorce and remarriage. The problem is still there. If anything, divorce only compounds the problem, especially when children are involved. Society teaches us that divorce is an easy solution, but it's anything but that. Now, the problem is within us. We are sinners. We are selfish, and we bring that into our marriages. Often when we see only when we see that are we in a position then to work on our marriages. And it is important to work at our marriages. Maybe the sermon is timely, the Sunday before Valentine's Day. We'll use this day to enjoy one another and invest in one another. But one day will not solve a dysfunctional marriage. No, we'll take ongoing effort of building up your trust and your love for one another. Well, fifthly, in Christ, there is reconciliation as he committed himself to you, the church. So the Pharisees, they wanted to believe that they were righteous. Jesus demonstrated that they were far from righteous. Their low view of marriage demonstrated that they are adulterous sinners. MacArthur says this, that's the thrust of the passage. The whole section is to reveal that they are adulterers in spite of what they claim. And Jesus is ripping off the mask of their self-righteousness to reveal their real hearts. And the whole point here is that divorce leads to adultery. It's just sequential. You may claim that you're not adulterers, but you are adulterers in your heart and in your divorces, which you are doing by misinterpreting the word of God to fit your own whims. What the Pharisees do is exactly what we do. We spend so much time trying to legitimize our divorce, trying to say it's right for me to divorce. Instead, you and I, we must repent of thoughts of divorce when they enter our heads. We must acknowledge that we're not the perfect husband. We're not the perfect wife. That we like to think we are. We're not as righteous as we believe we are. And so we're not that different from the Pharisees. Instead, we must seek to reconcile with our wife or our husband. We must seek forgiveness. And so grow in your love and in your understanding of your spouse. That's what it means to live in Christ's kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Even the exception that Christ gives is sexual immorality. As painful as that is, is not the unforgivable sin. And there should be an encouragement to reconcile, but only if genuine repentance is evident well, how can you do this? Well, this is the forgiveness and the reconciliation that we see between us and God. We read of this in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, this is a love that you are to show to your wife. For this is the love that we know in Christ. He's committed himself to you even to die for you. And in his grace, he makes you righteous. That is how you can be righteous. Through him, you can be loving and gracious in your marriage. Even for those who have had a divorce in Christ, you know forgiveness, and so you know his righteousness. And it is this righteousness that you are to reflect into this world. So remember the context of the passage Jesus is speaking to his disciples about life in the kingdom. And he begins with the Beatitudes, the blessings of the meek, of the humble, of the merciful, of the peacemaker. Well, these are characteristics that are to be evident in you as you live in this world. But they are to be evident in you, in your marriages. And so does that describe your relationship with your spouse? Are you merciful to her? Are you humble before him? Are you seeking peace in your relationship rather than strife? So don't be affected by the culture that we live in where no one is faithful. But no, take Christ's commandment and in his help live it out. And so the righteous man does not harden his heart and so divorce his wife. Instead, he commits himself to her. For in Christ there is reconciliation. As Christ committed himself to you, the church. Now, Discipleship Explored gives the story of a woman named Judy, and Judy described how she looked for contentment in this world. At the age of 18, she picked her husband because he was a good man, unlike anyone else she knew, and she thought this man would bring her contentment, the contentment that she was missing in her life. But soon, both her and her husband recognized that although they enjoyed their marriage, they were still hungry they were still feeling an emptiness, that they were missing something. Well, soon the marriage hit the rocks. And Judy then decided the reason for her emptiness and hunger was because of the one thing that was constant in her life, her husband. And so she decided, I need a new husband. Well, her and she and her husband were invited to a Bible study, and they felt they needed to go. They did not want to hurt the feelings of the one who invited them. Well, her husband ends up getting saved at this Bible study. But for Judy, she was still determined in her thinking that what she needed was a new husband. And so one night, she asked him for a divorce. But on that same night, her husband led her to the Lord. He helped her see it wasn't a new husband that she needed. She needed Christ. What a radical change in her life. So the righteous man... He does not harden his heart and divorce his wife. Instead, he commits himself to her. For in Christ there is reconciliation. As Christ committed himself to you, the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the marriages you have placed us in. But Lord, we ask for forgiveness when in the difficulties and in the frustrations that we can be quick to simply want out. We ask for your help. We ask for your grace. that You would soften our hearts, that we would love and trust one another again. Lord, we recognize that we are not righteous. We are far from being a perfect husband or a perfect wife. And so, Lord, humble us. Instead, Lord, help us see our righteousness is found in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for our Savior. And we pray for his strengthening. We pray for his enabling in all areas of our life, but particularly in our marriages. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 45C. Psalm 45C, the psalm is known as the wedding psalm. It speaks of a royal wedding, being married to the king. Well, King Jesus is the bridegroom. And we are the bride. So let's leave behind our old life and join him in the new life he gives us. Let's stand and sing Psalm 45c.